Welcome to the Los Angeles Review of Books podcast. My name is Megan Shank. I'm an editor, journalist, and Chinese language educator in Brooklyn, New York, and the co-editor of the Los Angeles Review of Books Asia section with Jeffrey Wasserstrom. We're here today with Helen Wan, the author of a hot-selling new novel, The Partner Track, and the former associate general counsel at the Time Inc. division of Time Warner. Helen's book chronicles the professional climb of Ingrid Young, a feisty, fresh heroine navigating the fraught world of corporate law who must decide what she's willing to sacrifice to make it. In Ingrid's own words, I wasn't big, I wasn't strong, I wasn't tall, I wasn't even a boy, but people said I was smart. So I simply willed myself to succeed over and over and over again because I had to. It was the only way I could think of to protect my parents and myself. It was how I would justify what my family was doing here. I didn't see any other way. Welcome, Helen. Thank you for having me. Your book was sent back for a second printing after an initial run of 50,000 copies. Law firms and law schools around the country have invited you to speak. What's your reaction to the book's success? How do you explain its, its resonance? And how do you explain why law firms have embraced it when they aren't exactly painted in a flattering light? Well, honestly, um, the, the legal community's overwhelmingly positive and enthusiastic response to my novel has, uh, to be, I mean, to be perfectly frank, surprised, you know, even me <laughs> and uh, my publisher. We are just thrilled um, with not only just the, you know, the general, general reader's response, but also particularly the legal community, because we didn't really know what to expect. Um, didn't really know how this novel, which, as you say, is a rather unvarnished and um, you know realistic portrayal of what life is like for young associates in big law, um, we weren't really sure what the legal community's uh, initial response would be, and so the fact that it has been overwhelmingly embraced, you know, in such a warm and positive way by um, lawyers, law firms, bar associations across the country, um, and also their corporate clients, has been just a, such a thrill for me. Um, and what explains it? I, I mean, honestly, it really just grew through word of mouth. Just it was a true example of grassroots sort of word of mouth buzz building and building as, um, as readers would tell their friends about the book that, hey, this book, you know, nails it. This is what it's like to be, you know, a young lawyer in this type of rarefied, um, you know, legal environment. Um, and the other thing that I, I have found really thrilling and um, so exciting is that law firms are using my book as a way, as a platform, to have a meaningful conversation about how to, um, you know, foster a more diverse and inclusive environment in their, in their you know, work environments, in these law firms. Um, and that, I actually had, <laughs> you know, some very frank conversations with the um, chief diversity officers at very large corporations and law firms, national national law firms, um, asking them, saying, you know, because because the book is so, um, you know, it it talks about the you know good points as well as the bad points of this kind of um, you know work life. Um, it's not uh, it's not exactly this kind of warm and fuzzy, glossing over you know Kodak uh, commercial for big law. Why, why, you know, why has the firm's top management been so accepting of the book and willing to, uh, you know, have 
book events around this. And these chief diversity officers and attorney development um, folks and recruiters tell me that it, it's actually, the book is perfect for this purpose because it is written as fiction. Mm. So the very fact that it is written as a novel, as opposed to some sort of didactic treatise, et cetera, on sure. diversity, is what has made it appealing and attractive um, to them for purposes of fostering this kind of com meaningful conversation about diversity. And so that actually has been the most exciting kind of surprise and not something that we had um, planned for, frankly. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's been terrific. That's yeah. very interesting. And, and, and what have you found to be the readers that you've met? What has been their reaction to the book? Could you tell us about some of your encounters with your readers? Oh, sure. I love, love, love hearing from readers. My favorite um, audiences are, without doubt, the student audiences. Mm -hmm. I love um, going to the law schools and visiting, um, you know, speaking with groups of these law students because it just makes me happy to see that law students today are asking so much much savvier, smarter questions than I knew how to add, than I and my peers, I think, knew how to ask over a decade ago when we were in their place in law school. Um, these, these law students are asking incredibly um, astute questions about diversity and inclusion and employers, you know, in, in, uh, you know, in corporate America. Um, and I love hearing from one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite, you know, uh, meetings with a, with a reader was from a young woman who um, she actually was a student leader in her um, balsa which which is her law school's um, you know black law student association mm -hmm. and she came up to me to get her book signed and she told me you know thank you so much for telling this story I never thought that I would see a book written about a young woman of color a young female you know associate at one of these law firms and she told me you know I only wish that I had discovered this book at the beginning of my summer. She had just finished her summer at one of these, one of the huge, you know, Parsons Valentines. A summer the is world. an internship that oh, yes, someone yes. going to law school has in the hopes of later yes. securing employment with yes, the firm. Yes, exactly. So she had just finished her first um, uh, job as a summer associate at one of these Parsons Valentines of the world. Mm -hmm. And she told me that, you know, I only wish I had discovered your book at the beginning of my summer rather than at the end because she told me, I would have felt so much less alone. <laughs> and that just made me feel so happy that she told me that and happy that it resonated, that the story resonated with her. Um, and I've heard from, you know, countless other law students that similar, you know, echoing similar sentiments mm -hmm. um, that they kind of used the book as sort of like a, like a companion or, or, or handbook on how to navigate the politics of uh, their summer and also being a young, you know, associate in this, you know, rather unfamiliar and alien, sometimes alien feeling um, world. And it just took me so long to write this book. And I heard the word no so many times during the uphill, you know, <laughs> the uphill uh, uh, journey, you know, of publication, that it just really means a lot to me to know that the story resonates with all of these young lawyers. Sure, sure. And, you know, you talk about the uphill struggle to write this book. Could you tell us a little bit more about the writing process that went into the book? Sure. Um, well, I this book took me well over a decade to write, from the moment that I conceived first conceived of the novel to when, um, I, it, when I got my book deal. Um, and, and, and that's not unusual. I mean, it's, it's so difficult to launch first fiction these days um, that every 
every every new novelist will hear the word no almost without exception <laughs> you know many many times during the journey um, in my case I think that there uh, was a lot of perhaps you know confusion or um, people in the mainstream um, publishing industry uh, where I had first submitted the novel not really knowing how to market the book sure not really knowing which bucket or category uh, my book falls into because it it really I was trying to do something quite different um, I was writing it as a novel and I was particularly you know writing it in the style it, it's a it's a I, I I hope and I like to think that it's a very fast fast-paced page-turner type of a novel it is um, plot driven mm -hmm. you know um, absolutely um, in the voice of a very kind of um, young uh, energetic it's a it's a very modern you know kind of workplace story mm -hmm. um, but it is also um, you know narrated by someone who is at the very 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 top um, top echelons of her career on the cusp of making history as the first minority you know female partner um, at her firm and so I think that uh, and also it's driven by a um, very, very high worth, um, important um, business transaction that she is handling. It's, um, she's in the mergers and acquisitions group of this firm. So I think that there um, were some folks in the, in, the, in the mainstream publishing industry who kind of felt like, well, not really sure how would we, mar how would we market this? Which bucket would, would it fall into? Is it a legal thriller? Um, you know, in the style of like a, a John Grisham, you know, the firm type you know, you know, thriller, which we know how to market, except uh, <laughs> we've never seen this kind of story told from the point of view, not from a white male lawyer, but from a young Chinese-American woman before. That's a little maybe, bit unusual. Maybe to put it in a very nice way, an untraditional protagonist. Yes, uh, yes, exactly, <laughs> a non-traditional protagonist. Right. And the fact that she's, a, as you say, a non-traditional protagonist um, also begged another question from other publishing folks, which was, okay, so we see this as an ethnic novel. So is it, so can it be more like Amy Tan, more, we don't really see a whole lot of elements of Joy Luck Club here. Nobody goes, you know, no one gets sent to China. There are no, you know, um, you know, arranged marriages. There are no descriptions of large wedding banquets or huge amounts of food. I don't think there um, was a dragon <laughs> or a phoenix in the entire book. No dragon, phoenix, A reference jade, to a panda. <laughs> No, no jade or yeah, dragon references in the entire book. And this right. also, frankly, confused people. I actually got feedback from some folks who were kind of like, well, um, you know, it, it is the story trying to, is it an ethnic novel? Because if so, it needs to feel more ethnic. <laughs> you know, so the kind of the feedback that I was getting was either it needs to be much more Chinesey mm -hmm. or take the ethnicity totally out. Right, you know, because take, you can't be... Right. An ethnic American and have right. it be an American story. Right. And in fact, one um, reader had, early on in the submission process, had said, what if in the plot she gets sent to the Beijing office? Then she could have all these kind of like, you know, misadventures about kind of culture clash, etc. And no, that's not, <laughs> that is not the story that I um, am, am trying to tell with this book. This is a uniquely American story. Mm -hmm. It's very much an American dream story about Absolutely. the model minority in this country. So no, no, nobody was getting sent to the Beijing office in this story. Um, yeah. But your desire for selling the book never overcame your desire to keep the integrity of, of what you wanted the right. script to be. No, absolutely. I'm, I believe 
it's likely that I probably could have gotten the book published sooner um, if I had been willing to make certain uh, modifications to um, the character or to the you know the plot itself. Um, and I, I simply wasn't willing to rewrite her as a white character, for one. That would defeat the whole purpose of <laughs> And that was you requested know, of you. That, that was requested by one yeah, individual. Um, and others had made similar comments like, you know, um, what, if, what if it were rewritten not from the point of view of a minority character? And honestly, over 12 years ago, when I first began writing this novel, what was important to me was to tell this story um, from the point of view of a young woman of color, mm -hmm. a young woman of color's experience in corporate America. That mm -hmm. is the story that I was trying to tell. Sure. So, um, so, so yes. do you have any models for that? I mean, do you know of any other books that depict a young woman of color no, and navigating? In fact, <laughs> in fact, that is my that was my whole um, that was my impetus for writing for beginning to try my hand at this book. Sure. Um, was that there I was? I had simp I had just. I was fresh out of law school. I was 25 years old. I had just landed in my first real job, which was being an M&A attorney at mm -hmm. one of these large New York law firms. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just noticing these very predictable patterns mm -hmm. of who was sinking, who was swimming, who was finding powerful mentors um, quite early on, who was not, who was getting really plum assignments and not getting them, by the way, through the, the centralized assigning system, which ostensibly was how we were, we were told we were supposed to be getting um, assignments, but just some certain people who were just tapped for certain projects. Um, and, and, and mind you, I, I want to be very clear, I do not think that any of uh, this, um, you know, was intentional or even sort of um, systematic or, or even conscious, which actually makes it that much harder to put your finger on and correct, you know? Absolutely. Um, and so... But it, but, it, but it was happening because it's human nature. People gravitate toward people that they have an affinity with and have a similar background. Absolutely. Um, so when you are a non-traditional candidate, when you are a non-traditional um, uh, employee in these kinds of settings, you need to, not only do you need to have the goods that everybody has, which is, you know, you know how to do the work, obviously you're a very, you know, smart and hard worker, but everyone is at that point. Everyone is good at school. Everyone is the LSAT. Everyone, you know, is a very talented lawyer at that point. At that point, it becomes the soft skills that are far, far, far more important. These are the skills that law school and even business school, I think, cannot teach you. I think it has to be on the job learning. And for someone like me, who, you know, I'm the um, daughter of first generation Chinese immigrants, for whom this rarefied, um, very, very privileged world um, was not, you know, did not was not part of my own family background, you really have to teach yourself, um, you, have to, you have to do a lot of cultural relearning and teach it to yourself in a hurry, very, very quickly. Sure. Um, it, in my case, being Asian American, um, and, I, and obviously no one wants to, I don't want to generalize for all Asian Americans, I can only speak for, for my own, maybe for myself, of course. But, um, but I think many times Asian Americans, uh, you know, we're taught, you know, you got to be humble, be modest, do not self-promote. In fact, self-promotion is thought of as sort of this bad, like dirty, dirty work. Um, you know, um, give credit to others, share that, you know, and m most importantly, keep your head down. Just, you know, don't rock the boat, 
be a team player, just keep your head down, work, 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 work. It's a true meritocracy and hard work will be rewarded. Mm-hmm. And no, <laughs> you know, um, I kind of had to teach myself, relearn all of those cultural uh, teachings because um, when I landed, it, you know, in the middle of this uh, environment, it became quite clear very rapidly that no, a- you know, actually it, it, yes, you did have to have the, the, the you know, the, um, the talent and the hard work to back it up, but far, far, far more important were those social skills mm-hmm. and the ability to learn the corporate um, culture very quickly and learn and then execute you know, your own kind of authentic and comfortable place within it. Mm-hmm. That is the hardest part, I think, for any young attorney to, um, to, to learn and execute when they land at one of these, one of the Parsons Valentines of the world. Um, and by the way, it's not uh, just unique to law either. It's all of these corporate environments, whether you're a lawyer or, you know, in, in finance or a management consultant or any of these types of careers. Um, and it, it just was kind of reteaching myself that contrary perhaps to what uh, I was hearing and learning from my parents, my Asian American parents growing up, it was actually far, far, far more important for me to be at the Fridays at Five cocktail hour than to spend that same hour holed up in my office with the door closed, invisible, billing, 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 and working hard. I mean, no. (laughs) You know, you just really needed to step out of your comfort zone and socially integrate yourself into the firm's corporate culture really quickly. Sure. Um, yeah. Which, I mean, I almost wonder if on some level there's some generational stuff going on there sure. too because yes. mm-hmm. you meet younger kids who come over here and study abroad from China or who came over here at a later age and they're very familiar with this concept of guanxi oh, and of yes. smoothing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Of, yeah. of um, you know, working the networks. And mm-hmm. I think maybe it's also somewhat of a class thing too, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if you right. are the son or daughter of someone wealthy in China and then you come over here, like you understand that your mm-hmm. mother or father made their career and their money through their contacts and that's also who protects them. Mm-hmm. Um so point. I would argue, too, that your book would be applicable not just to minorities experiencing that, but to people who come from lower oh. social classes or who come from non-elite schools or yes. who come from, I don't know, say the Midwest or the mm-hmm. South, somewhere yes. that's uh, not as regarded as other right. places. Absolutely. I think you make an excellent point. And, uh, in fact, one of my favorite, um, uh, you know, um, interactions uh, at a at a book event at one of these many um, book events was when a um, a senior law firm partner happened to be you know this uh, white male partner he, he he if you look at him you would think well he's the portrait of one of the founding or the members of one of these <laughs> you know really really prestigious um, corporate law firms here in New York he came over he introduced himself he he um, had me sign his book and then he said I want you to know that one does not need to be either a woman or a racial minority to appreciate you know, some of the themes of your book. And then he proceeded to tell me a very, very personal story about himself and about how he said, look, I have no Boston Brahmin background. He is from the Midwest. 
he told me he grew up on a farm. He went to state schools, which he put himself through, you know, he worked to earn the tuition to go to state schools, both college and law school. And then he told me that when he landed his first job at a very, very prestigious, you know, um, law firm on the East Coast, he moved to the East Coast for this, that his very first weekend was a firm outing, similar to the one depicted in a, in a critical scene in, in my book. Yes. And he, and he told me, he said, I love that scene because that just nails it. It just nails that feeling of exclusion that he, yes. that he tells me he felt. Mm-hmm. And, he, and that feeling of isolation. Even he, being this incredibly kind of looks very much the part, mm-hmm. um, you know, tall, you know, tall, blonde guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he told me that he was terrified because he had never set foot on a golf course before, did not know how to play the sport, mm-hmm. was assigned to the golf cart of his boss. And he just, just felt so incredibly, you know, like a fish out of water. Um, oh, and the other thing, uh, too, he, he talked about a, um, a tradition where people were supposed to sing their uh, college fight song. Mm. <laughs> Their, their, their college song, their college, you know, their, of their alma mater, and everyone else had gone to Ivy League schools. Mm-hmm. He was the only one who had gone to his state school that he knew that no one else would have heard of this particular state school that he put himself through. And he, um, so, so after telling me this incredibly, very, very poignant and personal story, he said, so I just want to, you know, let you know that I really, really enjoyed that firm outing scene because it really nails it. And, sure. he, and he said, and I don't think that the book is primarily, you know, just for women or just for, uh, for just for people of color either. Anyone can get it. Anyone who has felt uh, like they didn't belong mm-hmm. can get it. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's just that I think that it has this appeal. It taps into the universal themes, and I think maybe one of the reasons, if I were to hypothesize on why the book hadn't been shunned by people who were not necessarily in these categories, Mm -hmm. is that it's so relatable in terms of its themes that Mm. not only can you relate to some of the characters in the book, but you can also start to empathize and take a step back and start to question your own assumptions about things. Mm Um, I was particularly interested in Ingrid's relationship with a character named Tyler Robinson, who is the only male of color and gay employee at her firm, Mm -hmm. a twofer, as you write, like Ingrid, who's female and minority, and also Marcus Rees, a black classmate from law school. Mm -hmm. Um, A couple years ago, when I saw the novelist Juno Diaz speak, he lamented the lack of storytelling that features discussions or interactions between characters from different minority groups. Mm. And he asserted that existing literature generally frames conversations about race between a white character and a minority character. Mm-hmm. How did you decide to include these characters, and could you tell us a little bit more about them? Just give oh, sure. give our LARB writers a taste. Sure. I thought it was very, very important to not have the um, kind of the conversations about race only be between um, Ingrid and, and Asian American and her white colleagues. Mm-hmm. I thought it very, very important and also realistic if we were to have an accurate portrayal of today's kind of modern workforce to have very various the very you know various races represented. Also, um, I am lucky to have a close knit group of classmate you know friends, classmates, and colleagues who are um, people of color, but, but who represent many many different kinds of racial and ethnic backgrounds. Um, who contributed their own insights 
you know, ex- work experiences, anecdotes to my book. Mm. Um, now, obviously, my book is, of course, a work of fiction. However, I certainly did um, speak with a lot of friends who had remarkably similar experiences to my own in corporate America during the writing of the book. And so um, I certainly wove in many strands, you know, that were um, contributed by friends who are not just Asian Americans. And so I felt it very um, important to to not have the dialogue in the book about race be only between an Asian American and uh, her white counterparts. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the Tyler Robinson character. He's He was a lot of fun to write. Um, I can tell that in yeah. the writing of him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really, really like the interactions between, writing the interactions between Ingrid and Tyler. Um, because uh, the two of them have taken such different approaches to um, being someone of, you know, non-traditional or outsider status within the firm. Mm-hmm. Tyler has chosen to already kind of like take himself out of the pipeline, so to speak. He has already decided, hey, partnership is not in the cards for me, nor do I think I want to pursue it. And so he has already begun taking himself off the, the partner track. Whereas Ingrid is taking on more of an uh, assimilation model. Um, and I also found it very interesting uh, interesting to write the kind of the friction that this causes between their once close friendship, mm. um, Ingrid and Tyler. Um, they used to be Ingrid and Tyler are two people who, because of their, um, you know, both being quote what I what I call minority darlings mm-hmm. or twofers, right? Um, have grown close. They have this bond. They have. Um, they are the two most photographed people in the firm brochure. <laughs> you know? I love that part. Um, and they have bonded over this and think it's kind of, you know, entertaining and amusing. And um, until, until, you know, they choose different, very different paths. Ingrid trying to stay on partner track and, um, you know, to the extent needed, um, assimilate, you know. And Tyler, meanwhile, uh, his refusal to do that and refusal to, to cooperate with the diversity initiative, et cetera, um, does create these uh, these fissures in their relationship for the first time, and I found that fascinating to write about. So I'm glad that you asked that question. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, another relationship that I found very interesting, and to me one of the most difficult parts of the novel to witness, is how Ingrid treats another young Chinese-speaking mm-hmm. woman at the firm, mm-hmm. Zhang Liu. Mm-hmm. Can you speak a little bit about that relationship and also about Ingrid's encounter with an of-counsel Chinese-American woman at her firm, Ellen Chu Sanderson? Do you think that professional women or professional minorities are tougher on each other, and why? You know, that's an excellent question. I do think that sometimes women are tougher on each other, on one another. And I also, um, I also find it fascinating that often in the workplace context, people don't often realize that sometimes the best mentor in the room or the best sponsor in the room is not going to be someone who looks like them. (laughs) In fact, you could find one of your best mentors or sponsors to be someone that, at least on paper, looks nothing like you, you know, would would have no kind of natural, you know, common um, link there. Um, So... So the two scenes that you're ta- you're talking about, um, one where Ingrid is sort of the, the uh, positioned as the insider, 
and this other young Chinese American, actually, no, importantly, not Chinese American. Mm-hmm. Importantly, she's a Chinese That's right. attorney. Is she getting her um, LLM or? Yes, uh, right. Yes, okay. Um, so comes, you know, she, uh, so the, the Zhang Mu character actually is from Beijing, mm. whereas Ingrid, you know, uh, by con- in contrast, is, of course, a Chinese American born and raised in the U.S. Absolutely. Um, when Zhang comes to Ingrid trying to, you know, become friendly and, and, um, and Ingrid, honestly, you know, cannot find it in herself to associate herself more closely with Zhang Mu than the firm already, you know, is. Um, just by virtue of them, of the two of them being the only two uh, Asian American young young associates, um, I, you know, I just I wanted to to point up just the the contrast and how important it is for someone to, um, you know, to have two there that there are two different um, categories of you know um, these types of associates with outsider status. Some are passing. Mm-hmm. And some very much are not. Mm. And I wanted to point up what happens when there's this very, um, you know, awkward moment where Ingrid is forced to acknowledge the fact that, hey, I'm passing, she is not. What, what do I do in this in this situation? Um, and then, in in contrast, when Ingrid herself tries to do the same thing and goes to the Ellen Chu Sanderson character to basically try to find herself a mentor mm-hmm. at the firm. Um, and the older woman rebuffs Ingrid. Um, it's sort of a, you know, <laughs> a reciprocal, yeah. I, I, I um, bookended those two moments in the same chapter because I wanted to show um, how the, the roles can reverse at, 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 any t- at any particular time. And just because you happen to be the insider in one particular moment, it could just as easily switch on you, you know, in the next. So absolutely, yeah. And I think so much about of this book is 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 the question: What are you willing to do for self preservation? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you willing to do to achieve what you thought was your aim? Yes, yes. And also, how do you do it authentically? Mm. Is one of the primary themes um, of the book. Mm-hmm. So. Be, because it's, um, you know, anyone can try to, quote, pass or assimilate in these environments. But I think ultimately, if it's not, if you're not doing it in a way that is authentic to yourself, I think people are going to see, are going to kind of see through the ruse, if you will. Mm-hmm. I think it's not going to, you know, it, it, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever, the persona that you go with in the workplace, it's got to be authentic or it's not going to be successful, I think. Right. So... And Ingrid really defines herself largely by her work. Um, mm-hmm. She talks about how her briefcase, her Blackberry, the business section of the Times are the identifying qualifying marks that had inoculated her from the pain of her outsider status. Mm-hmm. Now that you have left the legal profession for a full-time writing career, do you also feel <laughs> vulnerable abandoning the trappings of your legal <laughs> career? Um, huh, that is a good question. Well. It's still quite fresh because I've only not been a lawyer for one week, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it certainly was not the plan that I would ever ever be able to. I I did not. If you had told me a year ago that I would be in a position to be quitting my full time legal career um, in order to pursue 
be an author full time, I would have laughed. I would have said, oh, you're crazy. That, that, that will never happen. Um, so I just, um, it's all still very, very fresh and very, very new. I still, it still feels a bit Cinderella at the ball ish for me. <laughs> um, it is scary for someone with my risk averse lawyer nature and also someone who <laughs> has grown up being um, the child of, you know, first generation Chinese immigrants to go without a steady paycheck and go without a 401k, <laughs> certainly. Yes. But I obviously, I, obviously, I'm thrilled, you know, at the opportunity. I would not have anticipated or predicted um, the incredible positive response that the book has, has received. And the fact that I am able to um, try my hand at, at book two full-time is just something that I do not take for granted at all and that I'm very, very grateful for. Are we going to see more of Ingrid? Um, you know what? Eventually, I really hope so, but, the, but book two is not going to be a direct sequel. Really? Yes, but it will once again explore um, similar themes about how race, gender, and socioeconomic class um, affect the ways we pursue happiness. Sounds fabulous. Thank oh. you so much, Helen. Helen Wan, author of The Partner Track. It was just really lovely to speak with you today. Oh, thank you, Megan.